music you just heard was conceived by the mind of musicologist Dr. Craig Woodson and sponsored by UNICEF, the Playing for Change Project, and the Iraqi Kurdistan Save the Children Project. The musicians are children, and many of the instruments are homemade. Solutions of Violence, the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, and Dr. Craig Woodson all believe that music can bring folks from conflicting cultures together. Folks, you're listening to Solutions of Violence, and we are glad you have joined us on WFMP 106.5 FM Radio. Solutions of Violence is a program of and sponsored by Forward Radio. The following is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of the speakers and not the station. If you'd like to share your views, you may contact us by sending an email to solutionsofviolence18 at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Our guest today is Dr. Craig Woodson, musicologist, historian, and biological relative of the famous historian Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Before we begin today's program, we want to thank the local branch of the Association for the Study of African American Life and History for sponsoring Dr. Craig Woodson's presentation, and we want to thank Barbara Boyd for hosting today's Craig Woodson presentation. Today's program was recorded before a live Zoom audience. Barbara Boyd will introduce today's guest, Dr. Craig G. Woodson. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our Asala celebration to celebrate the birthday of Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who is the uh, father of Black history. Again, let me welcome everybody to our Dr. Carter G. Woodson Association for the Study of African American Life and History branch meeting celebrating the birthday of our founder, Dr. Carter G. Woodson. The mission of the Asala Association for the study of African-American life and history is to promote, research, preserve, interpret, and disseminate information about Black life, history, and culture to the global community. And I wanted to start this meeting off with a did you know? Did you know that Harvard University has just hired its first African-American president? She's a Black woman. Her name is Claudine Gay. She's the 30th president of this Ivy League University, and she will assume office July 1st, 2023. And that's an interesting piece of information because maybe with Harvard setting that bar that high, that maybe the University of Louisville will take note. And again, I want to welcome you all to our annual meeting celebrating Dr. Woodson's birthday. The Louisville chapter of the association is pleased to announce that our speaker for tonight is Dr. Craig Woodson. He has an interesting relationship to the founder of Black History. And again, tonight we want to welcome Dr. Craig Woodson, who will speak on the legacy of Dr. Carter G. Woodson for today. Craig Woodson is president of the Rose Family Cleveland Asala branch and shares family connections with Carter G. Woodson as a member of the white side of the Woodson family. Dr. Craig Woodson is a scholar of African music and was part of the dedication of the Carter G. Woodson home in Washington, D.C. He holds a Ph.D. from UCLA in music with a specialization of musicology, music education, and music instrument technology with special studies of African drumming since 1964, including 
three years in Ghana. I guess he studied three years in Ghana. Nonprofit work at www.drumsofhumanity.org includes ways to help those interested in Black white family reconciliation, specifically through drumming with music therapies. This work is based on his own Black White Woodson Family Reconciliation Sankofa meeting, which was held in 1998. The chapter meeting is tonight, and stay with us if you are interested in how you can become a member of the Louisville Dr. Carter G. Woodson branch of Asala. Without further ado, I'd like to present Dr. Craig Woodson. Thank you, Barbara. My pleasure being here. Hello, everyone. Greetings from uh, Cleveland. It's my pleasure being here and recounting the uh, story as I've done a few times now, but it's it's every time seems to have a different part that seems to come up. And so I would invite anyone, if you have questions, to just break in better as it's going on than waiting till the end, I think. So I think, uh, is it Greg, you will uh, monitor the, the chat and hand raising. So please just interrupt uh, at any time. Dr. Craig Woodson, if you and Barbara Boyd could briefly explain why Carter G. Woodson has become such a seminal figure and why his contribution has become so important to the development of our country, I'm sure our radio audience would appreciate it. Okay, as far as some information about Dr. Carter G. Woodson, Dr. Woodson also has the Kentucky connection. He was born in Virginia to parents that had been enslaved, but Dr. Woodson was born free, worked in the coal mines in Virginia. He attended Berea College before, when Berea College was interracial. And in fact, he was the last, in fact, I shouldn't be telling this. Dr. Craig Woodson, would you give us a brief information about your relative? Sure. It's a good beginning. So Carter G. Woodson was, as you say, the founder, but his story starts, I guess you can say, in New Canton, Virginia. And keep in mind, he was born in 1875 and died in 1950. So he was 70, well, almost 75 years old. And then at age 26, he goes to Berea College in Kentucky. Then age 28, he gets his bachelor's degree in literature. Age 28, goes to the Philippines. He's there for several years, four years. Age 23, then he's at the University of Chicago, got his AB and AM. Member of the first Black professional fraternity, uh, Sigma Pi Phi, and a member of Omega Psi Pi. He got his MA thesis on German policy of France and the world Austrian uh, succession. Age 37, he got his PhD at Harvard. Second African-American to earn a PhD, but he was the first to have enslaved parents and the only to ever have enslaved parents, as a matter of fact. His dissertation was on the, the disruption of Virginia, based on his research that he did at the Library of Congress while teaching school in Washington. Uh, he came convinced that there was no future in a white-dominated historical profession, so he began to work as a Black historian, requiring, which would require recreating an institutional structure that would make it possible for Black scholars to study, as Woodson lacked the funds to, to do that. Anyway, his career was just, obviously, at age 40, he founded the association. At age 40, think about that for a second, at age 40, started his career as the, with the Association of the Study of Negro Life and History. 1915 thought of the world. So his whole point was to break through the, the white-dominated history and view of the world at the time, which is what he did. He can go on. Age 41, he began a publication of the Negro History Journal, and then the Education of the Negro prior to 1861. These are just seminal books. Century of Negro Migration, 1918, the History of the Negro Church, 
in uh, 1927, the Negro in our history, been reprinted many, many times. So he continued to write and publish lectures uh, nationwide. And so the, uh, yeah, it, it goes on. I quote, he says, I'm not afraid of being sued by white businessmen. In fact, I should welcome such a lawsuit. It would do the cause much good. Let us banish fear. We have been in this mental state for three centuries. I am a radical. <laughs> I am ready to act if I can find brave men to help me. <laughs> That's the deal. If you can find brave men to help me, I feel the same way. The difference of opinion with Grimke, if the, Grimke was the head of uh, the NAACP in D.C. So the difference of opinion with Grimke, who wanted a more conservative course, contributed to Woodson's ending his affiliation with NAACP. Black History Month then started in 1925 as Negro History Week, as we all know. And so he wrote, uh, while the association welcomes the cooperation of white scholars in certain pop projects, it proceeds also on the basis that its important objectives can be attained through Negro investigators who are in a position to develop certain aspects of life and history of race, which cannot otherwise be treated. In the final analysis, this work must be done by Negroes. The point is rather that Negroes have the advantage of being able to think Black. Woodson's claim that only Black historians could really understand Black history anticipated the fear debate that rocked the American historical profession in the 1960s and 70s when a younger generation of Black historians asserted that only Black people were qualified to write about Black history. Despite these claims, the need for funding ensured that Woodson had several white philanthropists such as Julius Rosenwald, George Foster Peabody, and James Dillard uh, elected to the Board of Association of Study of African American Life and History. So 1926, he pioneered Negro History Week. Uh, I'm just summarizing here. The Negro History was a popular one uh, to honor Negro History Week. Parades, breakfast speeches, lectures, poetry readings, banquets, and exhibits were held to honor Black uh, United students and Black educators at Kent State University. Expanded this idea to include an entire month beginning on February 1st, 1970. Since 1976, every U.S. president has designated February as Black History Month. So he has he has a legacy. So does that give you some information? Yes, yeah, I think yes. <laughs> and um, yeah, one of our members has asked uh, Dr. Woodson, "How are you related to Carter G. Woodson?" Right. That's going to be a part of the story. If I can, I can tell you, I can jump to the jump to that question or I can evolve it. Uh, your choice. The connection is through the family and our genealogy book that was written in, of all years, uh, 1915. And it states that uh, my family bought six of the first 20 Africans that came to this country in uh, in Jamestown. And it wasn't until several years ago that I did a, a Jed match with uh, Michelle Oliver Woodson. And we found that we are, if you go between in the Jed match system, you go from three to seven, three below three, there's not much connection. But at seven, you're very, you're cousins, very close cousins. And uh, we realized with Barbara Dunn on the phone, and uh, it was quite dramatic at the time, and it still is dramatic to me that Michelle looked at it and said, Oh, my God, there it is. So we're at 3.7. And she pointed out she's president of the Virginia uh, Richmond chapter, as many of you may know. Uh, so, yeah, there's there. That's one connection, but I'm sure others will come up on, on that same point. I just met here in Cleveland or there in Cleveland, Robin Woodson Robinson. She is directly related. We haven't we just met like day before yesterday. And I'd, I'd like to compare uh, DNAs with her if she's done it as well. But um, 
I actually have known her and didn't know that I knew her through the Cleveland Museum of Art. We were in similar projects, but I never knew her middle name, her maiden name. Her name name is Woodson. But we had we've had a wonderful connection over the past couple of days. So that's it. There's uh, there's a, some evidence, but more importantly, I think than the 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 blood connection is the what you do with your name and what you how you consider family and what you do about the issue that has come up in this country has been coming up and is out now in uh, in so many ways of this country reconciling with what happened with the enslavement of Africans from uh, the beginning of the founding of this country. So that's what I dealt with. And uh, if you want, oh, it's great to see Gaidi. Gaidi, thank you for showing up. I appreciate it. Gaidi has been a big help in our Cleveland chapter and helping us to reform that chapter. So I hope if that doesn't answer the question, let me know. But I'll, I'll, I'll be glad to get into other details. But if you don't mind, then I'll just go ahead and proceed with the beginning. Is that okay? Yes. With everybody? All right. So go ahead and put the PowerPoint on. I guess I'll start at the beginning just to give, we don't have to read it all. But so I'm in the 11th generation of Jamestown Woodsons who enslaved Africans beginning in 1619. So I'll, I'm going to talk about that lineage that I have in my family and then what how this evolved in my life. All right, so yep. the the presentations in these uh, sections, uh, White Woodson background, Black Woodson since 1619, uh, Woodson family reconciliation, uh, the DNA test that I mentioned, and then I have some suggestions on what to do and why now and what I recommend to white people. So at the meeting in 1998, I asked with uh, the question, when do we first see appearances, uh, differences in people? And uh, you could hear a pin drop. No one had anything to say. Now, this meeting, I'll back up uh, a bit, is, um, was with Edgar's family, Edgar Woodson, as I mentioned, well, maybe I didn't mention, Edgar and Aileen were the very good friends of uh, my colleague. Uh, I knew Betty Cox from UCLA, my studies there in the 60s and 70s, and she had a, a, an organization called the Beam Foundation, Black Experiences Expressed Through Music. And uh, when I came back from Ghana, after three years of uh, research and study there, saw a picture of Carter Woodson and uh, was shocked. I, I didn't really think about who the Black Woodsons were. And I went to my dad and he said, uh, it's in our genealogy. It's over there on the shelf. It's in the first few pages. And there it was that we, it, you know, it says that we bought six of the first 20 Africans that came to this country. So I couldn't tell Betty right away. I was very embarrassed about it. I finally told her and she said, well, my best friend is Aileen Woodson and Edgar Woodson. So we stayed in touch and I moved to Ohio. And later I said, I'd like to make an apology uh, for you know, our family's devastation of your family and participation in enslavement. And he said, okay, well, let's have the meeting at our church, which was the, actually the church of Reverend James Lawson, who was the uh, confidant, as you all know, of Martin Luther King. I met him to uh, see if he could attend. And first words out of his mouth were, we need millions of these ceremonies. He actually had to go to a fellowship for reconciliation meeting. So his assistant, Reverend Hill, uh, was at our service and, and led the service in 1998 at the Holman United Methodist Church here in Los Angeles. So I, uh, we invited the Asante people also to participate in the program because of the Asante participation. I was a member of, it was called the Asante uh, Social Group. Anyway, it was a social group for the Asante people. And those are the, that's the, the main group that I worked with in Ghana. 
And so Edgar and I went to meet um, Nana Osei Tutu, his name is, other name is Sam Apia, to invite him to come to this meeting. And uh, when you're in Ghana, what you do is, in, you know, you are invited in, you have people uh, sit down, you offer them a drink of water, you shake hands left to right, and then you ask, why are you here? So that became the bigger question for me is, why am I here on this planet? Why am I here doing what I'm doing? And so it, it had the bigger meaning of what is my responsibility as a human being. So the Asante people came and we had drumming. I played the Atumpan drums, the talking drums of Ghana, of the Asante people. And um, I actually met relatives on the mother's side of Carter Woodson, uh, great, great, great grandsons of Eliza, Eliza Ann Riddle. And uh, so the one, one grandson was able to, to show up. Uh, so this meeting took place. And so we stayed in touch. And that was basically the beginning of my connection with that. Now it's Adele's family. Adele, the daughter, uh, was the the only daughter of Edgar and Aileen. And both the parents had passed, and I stayed in touch with Adele. I'm still in touch with her now, every day, or two days, or three days, talk all the time. So that that was the beginning. So that the question was. Have you ever seen what differences did you see? So once I, I I pointed out that my when I was living in outside of Louisville in Middletown, our our maid, uh, my called my mother's helper, they called Maddie, was at our dinner table eating with us, and and I looked at the salt and pepper. I said, Maddie, I'm the salt and you're the pepper. And then I realized what I just said. I saw skin tone, and I fell apart. I cried. I ran to the other room. And uh, she came after me and patted me. I'll never forget. And she said, oh, don't worry. It's okay. No big deal. But that was my first realization of differences in color when I was like nine years old in outside of Kentucky, outside of Louisville, uh, Kentucky. Uh, that was the beginning for me. And so once I said that in this 1998 meeting, then others started getting, they're putting their hands up and getting up and telling their stories. But I was des devastated at that, at that first time. Um, but I, my passion was drumming. I started playing right about that time when I was nine years old. I, I learned how to play the drum set. I was in segregated schools all the way through high school and finally ended up at John Muir High School, where I was fortunate enough to, to uh, have a teacher who introduced me to jazz. And so I, was, I would be the only white kid at uh, gigs that I would play. Jack Folks and Louis Large and others were, were good friends and fellow musicians, and there was no... There was no nothing other than the music. It was about, all about the music. And if you could play, then you, you were invited to play and you did gigs and all that. So this is 58, 59, 60, right around in there. Yeah. So then I went to uh, eventually ended up at UCLA. The, the gentleman on the left is Mantle Hood. And he went to Ghana in 1958 and did a movie on the Atumpan, the talking drums. And so he was fascinated by Ghanaian drums. And by the early 60s, he brought back various sets of African drums. You see one right there in the middle. Those are the Ewe drums from the Ewe uh, tradition, uh, barrel drums made out of barrels. And then uh, soon after that, you see the gentleman in the chair, and that's Professor Kwabana Nkatia, who was my mentor. And that meeting is where I'm showing some of my new designs of African drums. And we're discussing this, I don't know, in, within the past 10 years anyway. So the, he's the preeminent, wrote the music of Africa, the preeminent ethnomusicologist, um, and was the gentleman who uh, brought me to Ghana. He invited me to Ghana in 1977. 
1960, I first studied African drums. I was fascinated with it. The, the airway drums that you saw, uh, studying with Robert Aite, a master drummer and dancer. Then uh, Kwasi Boot Badu came through and I started studying with him. He was the Asante uh, master drummer. It was actually a royal drummer. His father was was a, was part of the Asante Hini's uh, family, the Nifa side. And so we we had, these were all pretty much Caucasian white guys that were playing drums those days at UCLA. And it wasn't only till years later that I found out the bigger world of African drumming that existed in the United States at that time. So Robert Ite is on the left and Bedou is in the middle. And then I'm playing with good friends, uh, who have all passed now, but uh, they're all wonderful drummers. And we studied with the drummers and then we do presentations and so forth at UCLA, you see 64 through 73. So then I put together a small company because we couldn't get drums. And uh, I think, uh, uh, Carl, you'll recognize the drum there. The drum on the very far left is made out of, I made, that was my first drum. And it's a, it's a talking drum, looks like an hourglass, but it's made from uh, lampshades on the top and the bottom, and then an aluminum tube between, and I put plastic heads on it. It was a total mismatch of technologies, but the drum on the right is the correct Ghanaian drum called Dondo. So I made and developed a company, and Professor Kwabana Nkatia saw my, my company and said he wanted me to come and see what the project was that he was working on in Ghana. So I arrived, uh, first time was in 77. I was there for a month, and then I came back to get the exams and basic information for my PhD, went back to Ghana in uh, 77 to start my residency there at the University of Science and Technology. Now it's called the Kwame Nkrumah uh, Science and Technology. And the photo you see is of me playing a drum there. And it's in the village, but there's an interesting story that goes with that. I, I, no one knew that, that I had been studying by this time. I had been studying for 20 years, various traditions in Ghana. And the drummer just to my left is it's his village sarpong is his name he's a master drummer and uh the gentleman in the blue shirt off to the left uh, my right uh is frank mensa he's my assist he was my assistant at the center that i was working the music instrument technology workshop the the gentleman right in front of me is a priest he's a komfo he's called and he the music when i got there to the village um i knew what the music was and it was called a kom. And a comb is the traditional religious possession music. So you see at the very far left, you see a person in white. And when someone is possessed by an ancestor, they are taken away, dressed in white and brought back. And they can be consulted for family, anything, family concerns, business, anything, anything where they can help a family that they, they, is an ancestor. They are able to talk on behalf uh, as the, of that ancestor. So I played and what he's holding up is two fingers tightly held to index and middle finger together, which means what like dang. <laughs> it's like they had no idea that I knew anything about this and I could play exactly the right part. And if you look at your hand, you see the thumb can touch all the mem all the other parts of your fingers, right? And the the thumb is is the bell. It's the baby in the family. So the index finger is a child. It's a support drum, and your little finger is another support drum. And then your two middle fingers are the the parents: a low drum and a high drum, a male and a female. So that's the basic way an African drum is. This is information from my teacher Kwasi Bedu. This is the way we always described it to young people. It's like your hand or like a family. So I'm playing on like an index finger. It's just, it's not an easy part. <laughs> now, the, the photo to the right is the workshop 
uh, production that we put together. So these are drums that were mainly mainly made for schools in Ghana. That's the the, the project was because the traditions were going uh, were being uh, ignored. This is back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, the the tr African traditions were not being followed through with in schools. So he wanted me to come over and use any kind of a what's called appropriate technology, not uh, taking the place of indigenous technology, but to make it so drums could be made. So that was my job there is to figure out a way to do that. So those are drums that are in the music instrument technology workshop that you see to the right. Oh, by the way, the, the follow up to that where we are looking, there's a whole row of dancers that are sitting there from the university, about, I don't know, 25 or so dancers, and they're majors in physics or pre-med or whatever, and they study African dance after school, and, and Frank runs that group. He's a, he's a master dancer uh, from the university, from the, the National Dance Ensemble. So I came back in 1984, and then, as I mentioned, I went to uh, my friend uh, Betty Cox and, and asked her uh, you know, told her about the story. So there's the, our genealogy is that book. That's the book that I have. It's, I don't know, three and a half inches thick that tells basically the story of the White Woodsons. But the Jacqueline Gogan book that was written um, right around the time of the meeting actually published, the, it's the definitive biography of Carter Woodson. Our, that genealogy book is the second footnote in the book, the uh, Carter Woodson reference first references uh wb du bois and there's edgar uh, so i i would go to the house and we would just talk we would just get together and talk about the family and talk about his family talk about my family my brother came over and met sister came over and met they were both phds uh both principals edgar was at the tuskegee was with uh, tuskegee airmen he has a tremendous they both traveled the world tremendous stories of their travels around the world very sadly that their daughter was killed um their first daughter was uh, brett was killed um on their on her wedding honeymoon uh, in mexico and uh adele when she had a child named her son brett uh who's now uh junior uh, junior at uh, Santa Cruz in environmental studies. So, so we stayed in touch anyway. There, so there is uh, Tony Riddle, who's related to Ann Eliza Riddle, and his brother, who came to the meeting, Giallo Riddle. And when I called him up, I pronounced his name the way it's supposed to be. It's a Wolof name, and I pronounced the Giallo instead of Diallo, which is the way a lot of people will pronounce it. But it's uh, he's he's a very famous comedian now. But he was like 20, 21 years yeah. old at the time. And uh, Jello Riddle is, uh, came in attendance, and, and you'll see him on the right there. He's playing. He said he's never played an African drum before, but there he's playing. And uh, and his brother, Tony, I met in New York. I found where he worked, and we've met. So they're related directly to the mother, Carter Woodson's mother. So, yeah, that's uh, this is the, the statement that, uh, that uh, Reverend Lawson made. We need millions of these ceremonies. So there's the ceremony we had in, uh, in 1998. We had a gift-giving uh part uh, section to the um, ceremony. My sister gave the family, gave Edgar's family a little clock that had light wood and dark wood on it. So that was, that was very moving to me, still is. And it is about time that we have millions of these ceremonies. So there's the Asante in the front. You see the uh, uh, Woodsons kind of mixed on the audience there. So yeah, it's... Uh, Apology doesn't do it. It doesn't really say it for me. It's not something you can apologize for. I don't think in reality it's it's just it's so it's so enormous uh, a a tragedy. It's not something you can just say I'm sorry it happened. <laughs>
it, that doesn't do it, I don't think. Now that time has passed and I've come to understand so much more about enslavement. So, yeah, that's the Asante Cultural Society I belong to. And uh, just talking about Kwabana Katia. I actually met with Kwabana Katia on a, at a lunch with my friend Baba David Coleman. And I confronted, I said, why didn't you ever mention any of this enslavement business uh, in any of our lectures at UCLA? This never came up. And uh, and as you see right there, he said it was it was very difficult for us to talk about the Asantes to talk about is what he said. So and I know, you know, I, I know that we just never talked about it until that time. But since that time, we after that, we did talk uh, quite a bit about it. You see, there's a small plant and Nana Osetutu is uh, pouring libation. So we're pouring libation in honor of Carter Woodson. So those are all Woodsons there. Um, my brother, sister, family, Adele in the back, and Giallo on the, the one side, my sister or to the right, and my aunt, uh, cousins and so forth, and my dad just to the to Edgar's left. So Edgar put me in touch with his sister, Thelma, and uh, also known as Granny. I got in touch with a very good friend of Baba's, David Coleman's, uh, Lynn Hampton here in Cleveland. He's a police officer, drummer. And he invited me to participate in the celebration of Carter Woodson beginning about 2011. And so I said, I, I know Thelma, you know, she's directly related to Carter Woodson. And he said, would she come up? And so I asked her and she came up and uh, was celebrated in these events that we had in Cleveland on a regular basis from, from 2011 all the way up to when COVID hit. Uh, well, she passed in 2016, but her, her daughter, uh, Pat, who I just spoke with yesterday, is. Uh, uh, involved now or has been involved. So we're cousins. We talk to each other as being cousins. We, it's, we're, we think of each other as family. So the DNA testing briefly uh, is through the Dead Jed Match, which is a, a collection of all uh, websites, the 23andMe and, and all, all of them, and puts them all into one gigantic number, and then you can compare them. So in 2021, uh, I look for my biological. There's my the map that you get back from your ancestry. I don't know if anybody here has done their DNA, but uh, these are my connections. Um, so that's uh, you can compare your DNA and seemingly countless other biological relatives. GEDmatch takes information from multiple DNA sites and compares them. Mine came up with many thousands of matches. So I finally made the connection on Monday, uh, June, uh, in a Zoom call with Barbara and Michelle Oliver Woodson. Uh, Black Woodson from Richmond, uh, Michelle discovered the match turned up positive 3.8. I said 3.7, 3.8 on this, what's called Santa Morgan scale. Uh, while this means we are distantly related, we do share DNA and thus a, are biologically related. The DNA matches. So there are the Jed matches. Uh, it's significant. So if you if you, anyone has done this, it's it's very instructive. So there's the some of the details of the kit that you get. So how to become an anti-racist, uh, whiteness, racism, black history. These are things that I just recommend, highly recommend for people to uh, get involved with, um, understand what has happened. Um, join participate organizations, form a local Asala branch, tell your story at conferences, tell your story on video. Become an anti-racist. Uh, there's an organization that I attend. It's called CTTT. It's uh, coming to the table, if anybody knows about that. Uh, they're national organizations. They have meetings regularly. I attend one right now in Pasadena, and it, they're Zooms. 
but I was attending two of them. And it's the descendants of enslavers and enslaved in dialogue reading, uh, you know, how to be an anti-racist. Uh, Ibram, uh, Ibram Kendi's, uh, Ibram X, this is Kendi's book. He, I saw him as a, as a young scholar at a solid at a solid conference early on, and you could tell he just tremendously uh, tuned in uh, academically and uh, just a wonderful, uh, you know, speaker on behalf of of, uh, of anti-racism advocate. So take a weekend. Uh, training in the CTTT seminar it comes up uh, pretty much every year, and so just a few books that are important to to be tuned into. Bernice Morris's book on the history of Black press and public relations, a wonderful book, uh, presented for Bernice at his organization at Marshall University in uh, West Virginia. Uh, so join and participate in Asala, of course. This is a presentation I did for our local Asala organization that's called Adwa. It's African drumming from African drumming and dance from Ghana. So this is one I did back in 2018. And it's just it's a program I started with my teacher Kwasi Badu in Los Angeles. And I continued doing it with uh, Baba David Coleman and his his son Oluk Bala. So uh let's see. I don't know if you can do this video or not. If you punch that, maybe it'll work. Hello, my name is Adele Whitson, and we're here to ask for your support for our initiative and our project to bring black and white racial reconciliation. The story of black-white reconciliation is one that can be repeated across the United States with many families and probably around the world. Once again, my name is Adele Woodson. My name is Craig Woodson, but I think the reality is, is that there needs to be uh, amends, there needs to be healing, and the healing has to come from, from the white side initially, I think, to the black side, because that's the direction that it happened. I'm the descendant of the slaves that were held by the white Woodson family. They were among the first slaves brought from Africa to America. My ancestors were among the first slave owners in Jamestown in 1619. This part of our family story was tragic and very troubling at the time I learned this, I decided it was necessary to look for and find the descendants of those slaves in the United States. I had the opportunity to meet Edgar Woodson, the father of Adele Woodson. We share the same last name because typically the slaves took the names of the slaveholding family. In 1998, we met for the first time the Black Woodson family and the White Woodson family for a meeting of reconciliation. We also honored our mutual ancestor, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, the first African-American PhD from Harvard University who initiated Negro History Week, which went on to become Black History Month. We called that meeting Sankofa, which means in the Ghanaian culture, you cannot move forward without remembering the past. In that spirit, I wanted to make this ceremony, this meeting, an apology for my ancestors' part and role in slavery. Indeed, I believe you cannot move forward without remembering the past. So having said that, I am now gonna say again to Edgar that I apologize on behalf of my ancestors for the Holocaust that has caused to your family and your ancestors. And I ask for your forgiveness. And making amends begins with meetings like this that uh, bring together all of the participants. We are a microcosm of the world uh, in our various cultures and uh, colors and such. 
And um, I, I so deeply commend you, Greg, for initiating this. Racial tensions around the United States and indeed around the world have increased over the many years. And we want our message to help bring the world together as one family. God sometimes equip brothers, but they fight. Why? Because in the long run, you want them to with perfection. They will fight and fight and fight. And one day, they will sit and say, why are we doing this? We're brothers. Let's get together. Your support will help us with our next steps, which include a larger Sankofa meeting in the fall. It will also help us produce a full-length feature documentary on our story. Also promote our story through live presentations and the documentary. We appreciate your support in helping us bring the conversation about slavery, racism, reconciliation, and the history that is so important in America to a wider audience. Thank, thank you. you. So thank you. That's um, quite a bit. <laughs> Time has gone. Terminology has changed. But uh, yeah, so I think we're close to the end of the presentation. So uh, the why now is the division in America is increasing. America has never atoned for its original sin of enslavement. Racism continues to permeate society today. State violence continues to target black people. Yeah, white Americans continue to refuse to accept their racist views. Intolerance continues to be taught in families and schools across the country. Yeah, Black Lives Matter demonstrators need to be heard and supported. Our children deserve a better future. So my summary to uh, the white population out there is find and express, uh, express and become your passions for positive change. Understand the racism in your own life. Uh, be open to offering amends. Uh, be uncomfortable in this journey. Learning uh, happens here. Become an anti-racist, uh, a non-racist and you know the difference, not a non-racist, and you know the difference. Own the unspeakable acts that, ha that happened during enslavement. Discuss these acts, chattel enslavement, and the relevance today, chattel ens enslavement. Listen to, learn from uh, Black Lives Matter protests, discover your family's story, then hold a Sankofa reconciliation event. Find black-white uh, connections in your family to redefine family. Complete your DNA test and seek black-white matches. Engage those who do not share your views. Inspire human equality, empathy, and dignity for future generations. And, uh, there's a textbook that came out, and this is the textbook. Uh, okay, it's a high school textbook called Black History 365. Okay, this is the textbook that came out, a uh, 1,200-page textbook in November 2020. And I was introduced to it through one of the co-authors and Barbara Dunn. They had me on a Zoom and wanted to get some information uh, about my opinion of it. And um, I, my first question was, is African drumming in the text? And, I, and they said, well, we'll send it to you. And I found there were only three pages about African drumming in this 1,200-page book. So I said, you really, in another Zoom, I said, you really need to fix that. And they said, the co-author said, Joel Rothman said, uh, would you write the supplement? So that's what I'm doing now, which is uh, writing a book uh, that's uh, called American African Drumming Origins to the Present. And they, I'm doing it with uh, my, my good friend's son, uh, Oluk Balamans, who's a marvelous drummer, uh, graduated from Kent State in African Studies. He goes, he's just back from Africa right now, from Ghana. 
He has a lot of work over there that he does. And we have a team of about, I don't know, close to 15, close to 20, probably about 15 drummers around the country, uh, renowned drummers that are working on this book with us. But it is an absolutely astounding story that really lays the foundation for so much music that is, exists and so much culture that is in this country. But they left it out. They only have three pages. And so I'm up to chapter five and I'm covering up to 1950. And then Olu is taking it from 1950 to the present. So we're in process. It'll probably be done by next summer. And we're both just learning so much uh, about what happened and how it happened coming from the Congo and Belgium through the Caribbean into New Orleans and then the uh, going around the country, and and uh, 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 unfortunately, I didn't get to meet him, but it, uh, Dr. Chris Johnson, who died in 2019, wrote his dissertation on the banning of drums during enslavement, That uh, and he, fa- he found that banning didn't work because it continued, and it continued in tap, in gospels, and spirituals, and all the various forms that exist in this country today, but it, it grew and, and emerged into what uh, he ends his, his, you can look up TED Talk and you look up uh, Chris Johnson. He has a wonderful 10-minute TED Talk on this. And he says it ends up with uh, African drumming being expressed through the drum set. And it's just, it's a, a, a beautiful piece. And that's, that. If, if you say African drumming ended up as the drum set, and it affects every every type of pop music in this country. And I'm taking it one step further, which is to say, I believe that African drumming is the rhythm section today. It is the rhythm section. So, and I explain this in the book. And uh, but if, yeah, so I'll I'll leave it at that. And I'm open to questions. If anybody has a question, I'd be glad to answer the best I can. Yes, Carl. Uh, Carl Rattan. So, what was it like for you to discover that you were related to Dr. Carter Woodson? And what can you say about his contribution for us today? Well. It was stunning to to realize that it was shocking. First of all, when I when I saw it in the textbook, I was I was incredibly embarrassed. Uh, as I said, I couldn't mention it to Betty for months. Literally, I just was I was in a state of shock, and I knew so many friends that I wanted to tell, but I was just so embarrassed. I went to events. I was going to events, and I was sitting on this information. So it was embarrassing, first of all, and it was you know the reaction was keep silent just don't say anything because you're kind of worried about what the reaction is going to be on the other black side so i didn't know even what i would expect but it, it i just it was easier to keep quiet and then i finally told betty and she said <laughs> she said what she said but yeah the, the the blood connection was you know another affirmation for me of the definition of family what do we really talk about when you talk about a family mm-hmm. and it's the holocaust that happened that created this family but the family has to be recognized. There's a, a, a whole piece that I just sent to Robin, uh, who I just met, Robin Woodson, uh, Robinson is her name, in Cleveland. I just met her two days ago. She didn't know much about the Jefferson connection with the Woodsons, with Thomas Woodson, the firstborn of Sally Hemings. But there's a whole a whole lot of information that goes on with that and the Golden family and the book, uh, uh, A President in the Family, that was written by a Woodson, uh, Byron Woodson. And and so, but to, to answer your question, it's, it's, it's a realization that so many families have to go through to get this country somehow back to what it's supposed to stand for, <laughs> what it was originally supposed to be for, which it never has yet to be, it's yet to become, you know, of equality. And, and uh, 
if we're a family of a nation, it's, it's, it's so far from that right now that it's it's sad. But so I'm just doing what I can. I don't know if that answers your question, but it was a shock. Give me the second part of your question. So what can you say about Carter Woodson? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Woodson, yeah. Uh, yeah. So his couple of things. One is he was relentless. And there's a famous exchange be, between a, a woman and and him in, in his office. And they actually in the uh, in the actual office in the museum that's going to be open to the public this coming spring, it'll probably play. But there's a there's a uh, historical actor in the in the when I was there in 2017, who was playing Dr. Woodson, exchanging with this woman in this famous conversation. And I'm sure you, you probably know it. And and she's asking about going out to dinner. He said, you just want me to go out to dinner so you'll you know, we can get married <laughs> at some point. And he says, you know, I'm married to my work. I will not I will not bend to to that. I have my life is my work. And so that's what it was. And his book in 1933, The Miseducation of the Negro was was seminal because it it talks to him converting from getting a lot of white funding and where he notoriously said, uh, I'm going to stop because of the depression. He was, his funding was drying up in a lot of white organizations. And he said, I, I'm going to go instead of for five $10,000 checks, I want to go for $10,001 checks. You know, his focus was back to the black community, but also in that book of pointing to how unrepresented, underrepresented, horribly represented, you know, black community was in literature. And that was his whole life. And that, that, that alone, just by itself, all the books that he's read, the, the access books, all of the books that he's written are just seminal in their, uh, in their work. And of course, his journal is, uh, it's, very, very important to have. I have one small little piece in one of the journals, but yeah, it's people just need to know. I, I was so shocked to see, and I laugh because it's it's kind of sad um, at the History Museum in, in Washington, Carter Woodson's not there. Mm. And uh, and I said, I asked Barbara and Sala, and I said, you know, I said, why is this the case? And, and they said, well, he he is the museum. <laughs> But I said, you know, okay, fine. But where is he in the museum? And somehow it's just, it hasn't, it has, he's not there. So anyway, that it's just a, it's an aside, an aside that uh, I'm not, I don't have the answer for that one. Dr. Woodson, uh, this is Barbara Boyd again. Mm -hmm. You mentioned in some of your advice to white people to be prepared or to be uncomfortable with the critical race theory and the push that they are doing in Florida to and Texas to take certain history out of the history books because they don't want white kids to feel uncomfortable. How would you propose to go to accept being uncomfortable? Black kids have been uncomfortable. I've been uncomfortable all my life yep. because of the color of my skin. Yes. And with the, um, for those that might not be familiar, Asala has a theme every year. And the upcoming theme for 2023 is going to be Black resistance. And can you just touch a little bit on that? Absolutely. You know, Black resistance has been around a long time. It, it started at the beginning of enslavement. I, I don't know if you know the whole history, but I'm I'm amazed as I've studied it now for the book and how drumming was connected to it. But drumming 
scared uh, the enslavers because they knew it was able, they were able to communicate. There's a lot of fear, and uh, as you know, in the white community, that something is going to be taken away and and their control. And it's, it just goes right back to the plantation days, that we're going to lose our plantation, we're going to lose things, we're going to lose stuff. And that's the, I think that might be a, a good chunk of this uncomfortable nature is a fear. It's a fear of losing something, of losing control. And that has been from the beginning, and it's, it's built into enslavement. So the notion of and, and the way enslavement works I think the best way is to experience the uncomfortableness in some way, in, a, in an adjunct way. It doesn't have to be directly, but just simply ask people, where have you been uncomfortable in your life? It's like, where have you seen differences? When did you start seeing differences in people? That simple question, you can ask people, and, and it, 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 it comes up. Betty's daughter married a, a, a white guy, and they both spoke Cantonese. And they went to China. And in China, they said, we didn't even know that white people married or talked to black people. <laughs> and here you're coming over to China and speaking Chinese. So there's this whole level of awareness that people have to go through of what the world can be. <laughs> what it can be is realize what a family is and, and, and to 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 push fears uh, out and to understand what it, I know it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm putting a, 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 a picture that is almost impossible now to imagine, but I imagine that the time, and my dad was very, very reticent. My family was reticent. They said, they're going to yell at us, you know, black side, they're going to be all mad at what happened. And I said, what are you talking about? You have no idea what you're talking about. You have, you're just imagining it's this same, this is my family, my Woodson family. When I said, this is coming up. And then my brother got up and he started talking about his love of foot, of baseball and of black players. And he just started talking about black players and on and on. And Adele was just so amazingly impressed that any white guy knew as much as he knew about black players. And this is like a 1998. The point is, is that it's a conversation. That's what CTT is coming to the table. So what the organization of Black History 365 does is goes out to present the book. And a lot of times CT, uh, CRT people show up and instead of them promoting the book, it ends up about CRT. And so they say, forget the promotion. We're just going to do CRT. And so they sit down and have meetings about CRT. And it's not about the book. It's about why are we even talking about this? Why are we even having this conversation? Why should Black history have any place in education, in the educational environment? So this just is a bottom line for me. It's like, what is the, the, the case that this country has to get to, which is understanding the family idea and the fact is that we have come down this path hoodwinked, if you will, to use Malcolm X's term, hoodwinked. We've been bamboozled, okay? We have been bamboozled. So, and we've been told what works and what doesn't work without really finding out what works and what doesn't work for ourselves. What's worked for me and our family is talk, is that simple, is just talk. I was talking to a good friend of mine, his name was Juma Santos, a phenomenal drummer. He played with Miles Davis, and he said that's what it is. It's just talk. We're not going to be yelling at everybody. No one's going to be shouting. No one's going to claim anything one way or the other. It's just talk. So as long as you can start a conversation 
and look and talk to people, person to person, understand who that other person is, what that other person has gone through, and find common ground. That is a lot. If you could just start that and then continue it, then continue it, Re rejoin it, come back to it on a regular basis at a minimum. That's one way of doing it. We have a young lady, Alhambra Brewster. She says that she would like to hear it from a younger person's point of view, no offense, because a lot of us are uh, right there together. And she says she also thinks it's important to know, coming from someone younger, she's yes. 39, born in 1983, school killed her innocence mm -hmm. because she was shocked in school on how they taught it, I guess, like his, how they taught. It created a divide, not togetherness. Yes. So to yes. not make white children feel uncomfortable is a valid claim because she witnessed that. Yep. And then they got bullied by black kids for things they didn't do. And she says she's not in agreement with CRT because it was a horrible experience in the 90s. We need, she says, we need a charter school or institution that teaches this. And she doesn't think public schools have the capability to do so. Miss Alhambra Brewster. Thank you. Yeah, a gentleman was just hired in the Shaker Heights, just hired in Shaker Heights, a very uh, diverse community uh, in Ohio to be a diversity director. First time ever. It's I'll use the word shameful, but it's <laughs> what it is. It's what it is. It's it is shameful that it's taken this long, as it has taken that long to have a black president of Harvard. So yeah, it it is. Uh, we're in a process, and I think the process is can be accelerated. We've got to be very careful that you know you talk about the white fragility. It's all there. The white anger, the black rage, all of the things are there that have been identified by so many scholars and exist in the day today, but it really comes down to talk as far as I'm concerned. And it's it's one-to-one, -one, person to person, group to group, just like this, where you just vent and air and feel and tell what your feelings are. What are you afraid of? What's gonna happen? What is gonna happen? What are you I've afraid of? Mm-hmm. I've seen a couple hands raised, and I just want to make sure we get to have time for their questions. So Charlene raised a hand, and Jim yes. Johnson raised a hand. Yes. Yes. Uh, I wanted to ask Craig, have you run across very many African-American activists of, 19, of the 1960s who were teenagers, arrested, wrote about their slave owners' uh, family, and uh, also had book signings with family members that knew it, Caucasian attendees, who who won't have a conversation. Uh, I, that happened to me in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, and they wouldn't even talk to me. They bought my book, but they wouldn't have a conversation with me. Is that common? It happened with Barbara Dunn. She gave me an assignment from Asala. <laughs> she said, would you help with her family in tech, West Texas? And I tried. I tried and tried and tried. I called and I said, if I weren't uh, involved with my significant other the way I am, I would just get on a plane and go down and knock on their door. But I did everything. I tried calling and everything. And they just would not have a, they would not answer. So it's going to happen. That, uh, yes. My, my only, well, to answer your question, no, I haven't had that experience. In the 60s, I was... 
I was not aware of what I'm aware of now. I was doing, I was playing music. I was a jazz musician. I was playing African music. <laughs> I wasn't thinking socially, as a matter of fact. You know, I, you go to hear John Coltrane, you go to hear Max Roach, you go to hear musicians. You don't, I, I, I did not think about socially conscious. I, I went to protests, uh, you know, Vietnam and all that, uh, but we didn't have that. I did not have that connection. Only recently did I meet David Nelson of The Last Poets. <laughs> oh, okay. And we played and we played together. He, he did one of his pieces and I played African drums at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I was director of education there for several years. So we played. I had a good, good fortune to meet him and Bo Diddley. And, and you know, they appreciated the story. Anyway, to answer your question, no, I, I haven't. But I, um, I, I would, I'm going to look up your book if you want to tell me. Oh, OK. It's called Whitlock's Compositions, W-H-I-T-L-O-C-K apostrophe S, the word compositions. And it's sold on the website of Dorrance, D-O-R-R-A-N-C-E, publishing.com. Got it. Yes. Dr. Woodson, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Ladies and gentlemen, we're out of time. Our guest today has been Dr. Craig Woodson, the biological relative of the famous African-American historian and founder of Black History Month, Dr. Carter G. Woodson. We want to thank Craig Woodson for his presentation. We want to thank Barbara Boyd for hosting today's presentation. And we want to thank the local branch of the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History for producing the Craig Woodson presentation. The Solutions and Balance program that features Craig Woodson will air again December 27th at 8 a.m. and December 28th at 6 a.m. You can listen live stream if you visit us at forwardvideo.org and click on Listen Live Now. We will place the program that features Dr. Craig Woodson in our archives December 28th. To listen to via our archives, visit our website, scroll down to Program Archives, and scroll down to the Solutions of Violence program that features Dr. Craig Woodson. For Solutions of Violence and WFMP Radio, I'm Jump Johnson. Thanks for listening.